Welcome to New Models. On this episode, we continue our Ukraine coverage with our guest, Ukrainian artist Vova Vorotnyov, who joins us from Kiev. Over the past two weeks, the media space has been filled with really horrifying images and statistics regarding Russia's war in Ukraine. For instance, the more than 2.6 million people who have fled the country, the thousands of civilian deaths, the more than 10,000 military fatalities, and the infrastructural damage topping $100 billion USD. Given Russia's media strategy of denying this war, it's important that documentation of these atrocities circulate broadly. At the same time, it's important that the image of Ukraine as a nation technologically and culturally interlinked with the rest of Europe is not lost in the narrative rubble. From Berlin, Kiev is about as far away as Paris. And as recently as this January, friends here were still traveling to Kiev regularly for work or for a weekend of partying in a city that was increasingly renowned globally for its club scene. Part of the reason we wanted to talk to Vova is because he's part of this international network and could help us reconcile the country's many realities. A Ukraine already operative within the European cultural framework and the Ukraine currently under siege by Russia as Vladimir Putin tries to wrest the nation from its self-determined trajectory. But we also wanted to speak to Vova as he is, by practice, an observer, or in his own words, a flaneur. In 2017, he walked from his hometown in western Ukraine across the country to the front lines in the region of eastern Donbass. The following conversation was recorded Saturday night, March 12th. The sound quality is rough, but so are the times. I'm Lil Internet, joined by my co-hosts Carly Busta and Daniel Keller. Our guest is artist Vova Vorotnyov. Let's get into it. New Model Special Report. So thanks a lot for calling in. We're speaking with Vova Vorotnyov. Hi, my name is Vova Vorotnyov. I'm an artist. I lived the last 20 or 25 years in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, but originally I'm from Western Ukraine and I grew up on the Soviet and Polish-Ukrainian-Polish uh, border. So I have this Western Ukrainian uh, background. Also, I have some like, Russian background from Ural, almost Siberia. And now, actually, you can hear some uh, explosions in the air. So it's weird, like it's not calm at the moment. Uh, yeah, and so I stayed uh, a second week of the war with Russia and staying in Kiev and trying to make art to do my job. What do you see in front of you if you look out your window right now? Uh, well, right now it's dark. We live under the martial law. So uh, after 8 o'clock, like most people have to turn off the lights and, uh, you know, there are some restrictions. Uh, but during the day, I do, like, the bridges are open because we have a lot of bridges and huge river in Kiev. And so um, only a few bridges work for automobiles and the rest of them for pedestrians. It's very weird because uh, bridges, they are, like, guarded as a military objects because it's an easy target for airstrikes. So if you feel this uh, martial law and that the country is at war, in the city there is a feeling that uh, it's well guarded. I don't think it's possible to conquer the city by infantry or something. If you're driving, you have to... Every important junction is like a checkpoint, so and it's ready for defense. Also, the, the subway stations, the metro stations, some of them, they're closed, and so 
for instance, you can take a subway, but then you get to walk through the bridge, and only then you can uh, enter another part of the subway system which works. Have you gotten used to this state of things, if that's even possible? Well, usually a new habit comes in uh, three weeks, in 21 days. So it's only one week left, and I think <laughs> you have it. You'll get used to it. <laughs> That's <laughs> crazy. Um, your family is safe, right, and is in Poland? Yeah, part of my family is in Western Ukraine, like my parents, and the rest are in Poland, yeah, and they're heading further. But also, like, I'm with a friend of mine and part of the family here. But also, it's not allowed for men to leave. Are, are there any kind of official responsibilities that you have? If you don't have an equipment, they are not welcoming you. Too many people joined already, and if you want to join, then you have to equip yourself. What would that require? What would you have to gather? Bulletproof jackets, helmets, or something like that. So the people who are joining are people who already have this stuff. Yeah, I mean, also there are some volunteers who are collecting this stuff. Most of the reserve to the military service, they have a military profession. So the young people who are at the age of recruiting, they are targeted and also of military professionals. Right. And also this volunteer movement of uh, territorial defense, which is like local militia. But if you haven't served in the military, you are not welcome. And also like there is the last wave of mobilization. It's called civil reserve. But at the moment, the army is fully packed with men. So there must be a lot of men in Kiev that are not fighting at this time. I imagine for a lot of men who worked in shops or were, I don't know, worked in an office, is life going on as normal within Kiev since the city itself is secure or have regular operations more or less broken down? And what's the mindset of people who aren't fighting right now in the city? Well, most of the infrastructure doesn't function. For instance, uh, the majority of bank offices are closed, shops only like the basic supermarkets are working, but some services are coming back, like taxi, like some delivery services. Yeah, people are like volunteering. Also, there are many, many amateur self-defense. So I was like in this sort of patrol. People also are aware of possible looting. There have been plenty of spies. Or Saboteurs. Saboteurs, yeah. Have you seen any evidence of that? Has there been fighting on the streets and stuff? Or Yeah, Yesterday, I was like evidence of hardcore arrest. I heard that like the checkpoint there was some attack. Still, I think that people left here are not panicking. So everything is under control. But also many, many people who are seen like visually, I don't know where they're coming from. Like maybe been released from prison, but ex-junkies or alcoholics or people who did serve in prison. Some of them are very well organized and helpful. But some elements are very kind of, uh, you know, you have to watch your back. How are you communicating with your friends? Like, is it all the, what is your digital environment? Is it exactly more or less the same as it had been before the war started? Or have certain apps been particularly useful? Or are you meeting during the day um, in life because it's nice to see other people? How How is the communication working with, with your friends? Well, Kiev is not in this situation, like Mariupol, Kiev is just like surrounded by some Russian, but everything works. Like, like my friends are volunteering, helping the elderly, and my friend's gallery asked me to help take some paintings and to move them to Western Ukraine and probably to Europe. Every time we just communicate normally, and a lot of things to do. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I- this sounds like a bizarre question, but is there still a party scene? Are there people still going to like parties or music? Is there that sense of yeah. normalcy or release that certain people are still searching for? Or? No, no. There's no club is open, no bar. The alcohol is prohibited. I mean, not prohibited to consume alcohol, but you can't buy it mm. because we live under martial law, and martial law means like no party. Right. The city is empty. Ah, right. Like when I'm coming back like late, like five o'clock p.m., the streets are totally empty because I'm a stroller, like Flamel. So I meet another stroller. <laughs> so it's funny that like the streets are empty, but every several hours you just meet a friend. Uh-huh. Our community of strollers continue walking, but we are rare birds. In the morning, the city is like more vivid, but when it gets darker, it's completely empty. So you made this work in 2017 where you walked from the West all the way to the Donbass. How is that animating your image of how the war is playing out? Are there any images from that project that are present in your mind right now as you're absorbing the news and thinking about the events of the past two weeks? Well, all those things we had in the East already. It's nothing like super like astonishing or like super unexpected. Just came closer, right. and uh, now it just spread to the entire country. Obviously, no one has a crystal ball. What, in your mind, is the like hopeful trajectory at this moment? What is the off ramp that people, friends of yours, talk about when they think about how this could de-escalate? Or maybe more particularly, what terms of peace do you think yeah. uh, Ukrainians are generally willing to accept right now? Most people are just, uh, you do want the war end, but it's our land. We pay huge price for this war, so we are not ready for anything apart from leaving us alone. Yeah. So leaving Russia with Crimea and the... Donbass wouldn't be acceptable, you think? It's really roll back to pre-2014 and people are willing to fight for those terms. Well, Crimea is occupied de facto, but it doesn't mean that Ukraine accepts this occupation. Actually, they occupied part of Ukraine, like Donbass, the eastern Donbass and Crimea. And so, of course, like no one would agree to accept So let's say that Russia does retreat. How do you imagine Ukraine, ideally, just in your mind, what is the political trajectory that you would ideally imagine for Ukraine? Well, I think all my friends believe that we have to be part of the European community. And also, like, we have to join NATO because uh, democratic countries should be united and they should be armed. The planet is becoming more and more dangerous. So uh, democracy should have military power or something. Yeah, so I think uh, Ukraine should join NATO and be part of the European Union, but I think there is many, many ways how to connect politically and how to be part of this common European home or something. It's not necessarily that we dream about like joining Brussels, but I mean rather no border and free migration or maybe economically to be part of it. I didn't realize that Ukraine supplies 30% of the world's grain. Maybe I should check that statistic. But also neon production is in Ukraine. I mean, there are a number of key resources that... Ukraine and Russia supply 30% 30%, of the world's uh grain. So 10% of global wheat market. Well, I mean, this is not about the wheat. (laughs) I would like to talk about that stuff too. But I'm just wondering, is there a sense of frustration with NATO for not intervening more or... 
Is NATO as popular as ever? What's the vibe of that? Uh, of course, there is like a frustration, but of course, it's too dangerous uh, for the bigger scale to escalate this war further. But they should think first about their destiny. I mean, Europe security, because they allowed this to happen in Europe. So I think that NATO is uh, facing a certain crisis. Yeah. I mean, it, it only works as a preventative alliance, and that's what we learned. People, they are not frustrated like completely, because still we have support from the West, but more crucial here, NATO's um, strategy, uh, they have to recalculate about the security of Europe. So some people in the West, they start looking at it from two weeks ago, the, the right. Russian invasion. Others start looking at it from 2014 or Euromaidan. But when did the feeling that Russia might invade the country, when did that begin for the general public? Like, when did Ukraine start to feel really sovereignty-wise threatened from Russia? It started definitely with the Georgian war. 2008. It was the feeling that I could not believe it. Certain madness. And uh, then we have this President Yanukovych, who's now in Russia. But if you speak about this war, nobody did believe it happened till the very first day, because madness. How has your view changed since the 24th when the war escalated? Like, what did you think on the 24th? And how has your understanding of what this war is, how has it changed in those two weeks? First, like, I thought it's madness, but it's going to end soon, because the more Russia fights here, the further they are from their goal. Yeah, I mean, there's politically, it seems like dead, obviously. I mean, if they were to overpower the Ukrainian forces, like it would, it doesn't seem feasible that they'd be able to establish any kind of real state in Ukraine, because obviously, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's obviously... It does seem I don't know, because true. Uh, for this kind of wars, at least they need something like a fifth column mm. in the country, or some kind of even like fringe institutional organizations who would support them. But, like, none of them. Right. It just doesn't exist. You know, I've stopped reading the news. It's, like, too much. But some high-ranked officers were arrested in Russia for this fuck-up yeah, there's so much corruption. I mean, it just seems like Russia has so many fail points because there's so much corruption, like MREs that are like 10 years out of date or like Russian pilots whose planes get shot down. They found, I think, three in the past 48 hours who their parachutes didn't open. And there is a thinking that either they're just bad parachutes or they've been actively destroying the parachutes so that the pilots weren't captured and couldn't be used for propaganda or the comm system is just ancient and Ukraine seems to have an advantage and that it doesn't have that same degree of corruption rot. Well, Ukraine is also the land of corruption. Uh, uh-huh. but, uh, but Ukraine is just like a wild west. Yeah. You know, Russian corruption and Ukrainian corruption are two different corruptions. So, <laughs> wild west corruption versus institutional rot. Yeah, because Ukraine is a country like almost like a ghost. And Russia is a very centralized fascist organization of power. And the corruption there is like totally different. In Ukraine, corruption is the corruption with human face. <laughs> okay. Is it maybe more like 90s Russian style corruption in Ukraine? <laughs> and it's not yeah. Soviet yet? Because it's not as bu- bureaucratic? The corruption or something? Is that kind of what you're saying? Or I would say that uh, Ukrainian corruption, it's more about life. There is no political will 
I mean, I'm talking about the pre-war situation. Maybe now, like, corruption with Kaput. I don't know. I hope so. Because we have this new experience and there is a chance to turn the corruption off. But I speak about the pre-war situation. This corruption was still kind of sometimes even enabled uh, people, you know, to seek their goals. Because sometimes the war is like, sometimes corruption is better than the law. But Russian corruption is totally different. It's like very hierarchical, very vertical. Uh, and he thinks rather like... Decentralized corruption. I guess, yeah. it, I guess it's preferable, I think. That's true. Than fascist corruption. Um, I wonder um, also if there is a similar parallel to the question of nationalism. And I'm actually curious, how do you think nationalism functions in Ukraine? It's obviously a necessary resource right now because Ukraine's under siege. But yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Nationalism in Ukraine is a very, very marginal ideology. Mm. They don't have only one member of parliament or mm, one. Right. But it's very popularized by the Russian media, by Western media. It's more like media phenomenon than the real political ideology represented parliament. So do you think that the ideology is is it more represented in the military though, or in, in militia groups than in the parliament? I don't there was like uh, some nationalist uh, battalions like uh, some volunteer groups who was, you know, organized around the nationalist ideology. But they failed. And we are a democratical society, country, so it's not like banned. But there is no demand for nationalist ideology. I mean, people could just play sometimes nationalist as a joke. But when it comes to serious statement, it's like extremely marginal. When during Maidan, we had a nationalist party called Svoboda, it was like active. And I think they've been sponsored by Russia because mm. they, you know, they made a bad reputation for Maidan, sabotage of the real democratic change. And I'm glad that even like now we have the war, there is nothing like unhealthy nationalist supremacy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know to what extent you're paying any attention to external media, but are there any myths that you feel need to be busted? Like, I mean, I saw there was that funny post where like the Washington Post trying to like tell everybody, uh, yeah, what's the deal with all these newscasters being like, you must say Kiev now, like that's supposed to be this show of support for Ukraine. It feels like the most disembodied protest to have to say this word this one way. Like, are there any things like that that you think just should be debunked? Yeah, sometimes people who had no idea about this country, so they think, okay, there's Ukraine, there are Ukrainians, they speak Ukrainian, but part of Ukraine speaks Russian. Well, Russian speaking Ukrainian would be pro Ukrainian, and it's like English, Ireland. That doesn't mean that they are pro Russian because they speak Russian. No one speaks Ukrainian. It was years and centuries of Russification, but still. So, Russian language is not our enemy. Like half of the population speaks Russian. Somewhat relatedly, in the past 20 years, a lot of artists coming from the U.S. and Western Europe have exoticized Ukraine and also the Caucasus. Since you're an artist, what effect do you think it's had on the art making? I think it's just normal. Just like I do exoticize Brazilians or Argentina or whatever. It means that someone is curious, but it is important to uh, give space and to provide room for Ukrainians to tell the message and to demystify them. Mm-hmm. Also, like, there is self-exoticizing uh, when 
the artists are hearing stereotypes about themselves, they're kind of pushing those stereotypes further. Emotionally, it's just normal. It's a healthy thing to exotify. But it is also important, like, the depth. In the 90s, we've been exotifying the Americans. Blue jeans and, you know, Nike and, uh, you know, all the McDonald's. And McDonald's have closed because uh, I call them Mac chickens. McChickens. Because they were, you know, they're chicken because they closed the restaurants. I see. I see. Yeah, actually, I mean, relatedly, like you were saying that you can get food delivered. Like, can you still use your delivery apps? I don't use but Sometimes they, they work. Yeah. You cannot order anything from the restaurant because the restaurants don't work. So you can just order maybe some supermarket delivery stuff. Oh, right. And also, like, there is plenty of my friends are working as volunteers for elderly. They communicate via chat, bots, and telegram, and also they are collecting donations, like even the cryptocurrency. Yeah, what role is crypto playing right now in the city as a currency? How is crypto working right now in Kiev? Actually, I'm too old school for this. I have no idea how it works. (laughs) Uh, But from what I know, it works well, and then you can buy local money. There's exchanges available. Yeah, Um, you can exchange it on local money, and local money on the black market, the rate is very dangerous, so there is a difference between uh, officially the currency rate and what is like in real life currency exchange booth. The value is higher in the black market. Yeah, it's high. It's like... Uh, yeah, it's in low supply. I do hope that we wouldn't have this collapse of our currency. Do you think that the economic sanctions on Russia will have any spillover effect into Ukraine? Since, I mean, there was previously a lot of trade between Russia and Ukraine. How is that going to work? Do you still get a supply of Russian goods at all? Or is are, are most things coming from the West now? Russia doesn't produce anything apart from <laughs> oil and gas. Right. So there was nothing like being shared with Russia. You know, before the geopolitical, before our breakup, let's say, was a big part of the economy trading with Russia. But eight years of war, just less and less. And also, the only thing we need from Russia is gas. And it's nothing like machinery. Yeah, so, right. Do you have any friends in Russia? And like, yeah. if so, are you in touch with them at all? I have many friends in Moscow and St. Petersburg. I'm totally against of boycotting our friends in Russia because uh, we do need a fifth column. Mm. And right. The bigger this column is, the better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the argument against cultural boycotts in general. Right, um, yeah. Is that you want to be speaking to the people, not isolating them and leaving yeah. them only to the worst propaganda. I mean, I feel like that's the same in, in other situations as well, but certainly here. Yeah, I'm not going to boycott my friends. Yeah. I know they are sincere. They are right. I wonder if, is there any uh, hacks or misusing of, uh, say, internet platforms or apps? What, Practical what, hacks. Yeah, like, one yeah. thing we've heard about here is uh, people listing their apartment on Airbnb so that people can just book it at, just to send them money and help support them. Uh, I wonder if you have any other examples of these sort of resourceful ways of uh, figuring out how to get something or accomplished. Or way platforms have just been repurposed to accommodate whatever is needed right now. I don't know. The railway system, it is not a smart industry, but the railway was about creating people for free. So all the trains to the passengers without any tickets transported them to Western Ukraine. Kids, elderly, women, men as well. This was like surprisingly good that they managed to move crowds of people. Yeah. Just uh, I haven't, I mean, because like so many things are happening now that 
you just cannot digest it. Like uh, right. you have to be like, a little bit reserved to keep uh, sanity. Yeah. yeah. So what are you working on right yeah, now? Yeah. What are you working on right now? Uh, well, the thing is, uh, first day of war, I lost the access to my studio because it happened to be situated on the military base. Oh, it was kind of a river, a navy, military object, shipyard. So that's why I lost the access to our studio. But today is the brightest day of uh, two weeks. I took my computer back from our studio. And because of this like corruption, I would say, which is good corruption. Yeah. That's why flexible corruption. Right. You know, in Russia it wouldn't be possible because they would keep everything. Russian corruption is something when uh, the president is like misinformed at the very basic level when they are afraid to say truth. So this is like Russian style corruption. In Ukraine, like nobody would lie to each other. They would say it like this. Nobody is afraid uh, of government power. Russian fear is like the glue for their society. Is that the way many Ukrainians rationalize the invasion? Do they believe that Putin has just been misinformed, that he's surrounded by people telling him things that aren't true, and that's why he made this decision? It's not that like, he was misinformed. Uh, it's more like a technical detail. Probably he was misinformed about the amount of Russia supporters. Uh, obviously, there is none at the moment. But somehow he was certain with his decision to invade. It could be that it's not about Ukraine, it's about the West. And I don't think it was a surprise for, him, for Russia in general. Something which was called an operation just turned to be of madness. It's very difficult like, to rationalize here because it's very difficult to find the logic. My friends, they have a hobby. They are watching Russian propaganda on television. <laughs> moment i don't watch tv but my friends say that they have too many scenarios and like they had more and more voices on uh, stop the war mm. this is something which was not possible just two weeks ago the situation is completely unpredictable and if it's madness it's like this ukraine has this positive attitude of being defensive and like how do you watch Russian TV in Ukraine? Does it is there an actual so channel RT? from Russia? No, I just, just uh, online. The internet, okay. Because Russian internet is uh, blocked, but there are ways to watch it. One more very basic question we probably should have asked earlier, but food supplies, yeah. things like this. Do you see shortages of specific things? What does it feel like in that? How uh, is that organized? Regard. Like, yeah. how is food supply? How is medicine supply? How is that being organized? But the medicine supply, not many drugstores are open, but there are volunteers who are bringing stuff. Supermarkets are open, and uh, of course, like, half of the shelves are empty. Diary products are maybe less because uh, they need to be fresh all the time. Or maybe there are also some luxury stuff is wrong, but the basic products are still available. Do you know how they're actually getting there? Is it just trucks from Poland? Power supplies reaching Kiev. I know that part of the city, probably half of the city is surrounded, but there's still a good barrier of Ukrainian troops as a buffer. They're not cut completely. Every day, my friends are traveling, bringing humanitarian aid from uh, central Ukraine. So this direction is functioning. The problem is with the northwest and northeast direction. And, you know, the fringes of Ukraine are invaded. But the core of the country is still, and also like they are backed by Romania, Moldova, Hungary, Slovakia, and Poland. But they are very supportive and supplies are active. So. If there is an attack on Kiev, if that were to happen, is there a general protocol that's been communicated to 
residents as to what you're supposed to do? Or what would you do personally? We have Ministry of Defense texting on our phones some instructions. I see. So they use the technologies and also information goes from skirt to skirt. The rumors are very fast. So information is spreading very fast. Human internet. Yeah, human internet. Yeah, cool. And I know that your practice also comes from like looking at the surfaces of cities and like paying attention to how they change and how regions define themselves. You have ideas or are you already working on any projects um, while this war is happening? Yeah, I'm trying to document like uh, for the war, like apart from art, I have also a t-shirt business, which is now it's impossible, but uh, I'm going to print abroad. One release in England, one release in Germany. Poland, in Netherlands, so yeah, because like many friends from abroad, they want to. Also, we will collect money for some humanitarian purposes. And the art is like it's not that important at the moment to make art, but I'm trying to make a very fast art, like drawing, and to enable spreading it and like immediately to reuse. So at the moment, I'm doing something like very fast things that. Used. Right, but they don't take like many steps of production. Relatedly, are people writing graffiti right now? Are people making anything informally to signal to each other? I know there's a whole thing with like the road signs being changed to like Russian fuck off or whatever, but like, are you seeing anything in Kiev? No, I don't think it's safe. Uh, me personally, I have a graffiti background, but now if you would do something like that, me personally, I've been arrested several times with guns using You've been arrested taking pictures in the last few days. Wait, you've been arrested in the last few days by taking pictures. Yeah, really. I mean, first time we could go, and then a few days later on, because they think you're a Russian spy, or what's the basis? First arrest was like with five gunmen with self-defense forces, and luckily I was very keen in my hometown history. I was like from Western Ukraine, so I formed a profound knowledge of. Western Ukrainian history. So if somebody with spray can, kind of very dangerous, they could like first shoot and then interrogate. Wow. And so, I mean, and like, if, for instance, you couldn't speak Ukrainian well, you would have been in huge trouble then, I assume. No, the interrogation was in Russian. It was in Russian? Yeah. That's funny. Okay. Wait, but why? It was just about, his, about history. Half of people oh, right. That is the lingua franca, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's lingua franca. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Counterintuitive, but interesting. It's like American and British accent. You cannot hide in Russian. You cannot imitate the pure from Ukraine. Right, like right. Language is the sound different. Right. Russians are speaking like Russian. Phonetically, it's like totally different. Right. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you speak with Russian accent, Moscow accent, of course, like you have problems. And like some friends of mine from Moscow, they live here, they would be thoroughly checked because of their accent. Recently, the Ukrainian-speaking part gets higher and higher, but still, like, it's a very bilingual city. What's the best way you think people outside of Ukraine can support? It depends. We meet for one thing two weeks ago, then right. one week later, the architecture of this need change. So probably we just have to be in steady contact and be reactive to the actual needs. The situation is changing. Like, if Kiev would be, like, burned down or something like that, obviously we should be in need of one sort of support. If everything ends sooner rather than later, then maybe no help will be needed. So it depends. We just have to stay 
united with the rest of the world. Well, it's been really great just getting an interior perspective on what's going on. I mean, the media gives us the most mediagenic images um, and a lot of headlines, but you never quite know what's real unless you can speak to somebody who's like actually has first person witness to what's going on. So we really appreciate you being down to talk to us and just tell us what you're thinking. Yeah, I just wanted to say that like we are in Kiev, we are lucky because everything is at the moment more or less okay with Kiev. But those who are in Kharkiv or yeah. Mariupol, other cities and towns, which uh, some of them just, they do not exist anymore. So they faced the horror of this war. But me, you know, at the moment, yes, explosions in the air, but it's not that I deserve something like pitifulness uh, or something. We are okay at the moment. Right. Just like I hope oh. that would remain black and uh, remain Ukrainian. Yeah, and those invaders would go home. We feel you. Um, it feel it does feel close. I mean, Kiev does feel like part of this extended art world that goes from like Paris to Berlin to Warsaw to Kiev. I mean, it feels like it's part of this like continuum. And just seeing the number of people coming from Ukraine who arrive every few hours at the Hauptbahnhof in Berlin. I mean, it's very it's very real, but. Yeah, I don't know. I definitely just appreciate you giving us an insight beyond, as we say, like the media smokescreen as to what what the general opinion is. We show in the same kinds of galleries. We're part of the same discourse. So hearing your voice on what it's like to be in this country, it's just helpful calibration to hear your perspective on it. So appreciate that. Also, so you have an Instagram and you've been posting some more images from Kiev. How do people follow what you're doing? How do they follow your work? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> follow me on Instagram, Borovrotnov, and Instagram. Okay, super. Also, if you have any links to any of your friends, any other yeah. artists in the city that are worth following. Yeah, also, uh, please follow the Telegram channel of my friends. It's called Proof of War in Ukraine. Oh, yeah, I am following that. And uh, any of your friends that are doing uh, the community aid, if there's any way to help them or anything like that, send us the information and we can try to forward it to our followers. It's so many initiatives, so they don't have in mind something like Okay. Just maybe Proof of War in Ukraine, this Telegram channel, it's run by my friends. It's like really hardcore collection of... Uh, it's very relentless. <laughs> videos, because it's not uh, Instagram format at all. Right. So, but it's something... That world has to see. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It is amazing. I mean, I will say that four weeks ago, all these platforms were very, you know, still very sensitive. If you had any image that even looked like it was like a bloody arm, you might get banned. Since the war has begun and since there's been this big disinformation campaign by Russia to say there's no war, all these platforms have like seriously relaxed their censors and Twitter, Instagram. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's like, it's practically a gore show because that's actually what's happening in Ukraine. Um, and interesting how yeah how those sensors can change their threshold in a situation like this but well stay safe um we have to download before you hang up but can i go and take my because i have a bottle of beer waiting for (laughs) yeah (laughs) you can do that yes yes thank you so much much, yeah stay safe it's very inspiring to see uh, you really holding it together well and also just sharing your time with us in what is an unimaginable moment in your life. I hope it's one you get a lot of strength and inspiration from on the other side. Thank you, guys, and good luck. Have a good night. Thanks, bye. Enjoy your beer. Enjoy your beer. (laughs) 
Thank you for listening to this new model special report. Be sure to follow Vova Vorotnyov on Instagram. It's linked in the show notes. And follow Proof of War on Telegram. If you're in Berlin, you'll also find a lot of the volunteer organizing to help Ukraine refugees on Telegram. Just search for Ukraine Berlin Arrival Support and Ukraine Help and Volunteering in Berlin. Or just Ukraine Berlin. It's all on Telegram. In general, Telegram seems to be the major hub of online communication right now, so don't neglect it in the fog of armchair analysis, Twitter threads, and the music vidification of war on TikTok. That's all for now, and see you next episode. This has been a New Models production. Music and mixing by Low Internet. For more, visit patreon.com slash newmodels. Be sure to sign up for the channel mailing list at channel.xyz and stay updated on our upcoming Season 1 public launch.